Some of these should sound familiar to you. You know you're from a small town when. You know you're from a small town when you give directions based on the one stoplight. That should sound a little familiar. You know you're from a small town when you wave at every car that passes by, whether or not you know the driver. You know you're from a small town when the local aquarium is stocked with minnows and it's located at the bait shop. You know you're in a small town when the closest Walmart is a 20-minute drive. You can do it in 15 if you try really hard. And you know you're from a small town if you're still friends with the people you went to kindergarten with. That should sound familiar to you. You maybe recognize several of those, and maybe you even wonder, is that unusual? Isn't that just the way life is? Kansas is a small town. We are surrounded by other small towns. We have a small town life. And every year about this time, we sing that song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And we acknowledge Bethlehem, Jesus' birth town, was a, a small town. But I wonder if we ever feel kinship with Bethlehem. Have we ever stopped to consider how much we have that we, we can relate to the town of Bethlehem? This month, we've been looking at the prophecies surrounding Jesus' birth and seeing how God brought His Son into the world in, in a, His perfect timing. And in His perfect timing, in His perfect place, just in the nick of time, we've, we've said. And in just in the nick of time includes God's choice of, of Bethlehem at the time that Jesus was born. Imagine a small town that was getting smaller. Imagine a small town that was getting smaller. There's no growth. There's no change. The population is shrinking. A town that would have been overlooked by anyone. And maybe you don't need to imagine a town like that. That's Bethlehem. Easy to overlook, but not overlooked by God. We're going to look at Micah chapter 5 today. Back in your Old Testament, towards the end of your Old Testament, Micah chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. If you grab one of those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 778. If you've got your own Bible, if, you've, if you hit Jonah, keep going a little bit further. If you hit Nahum, you've gone too far and you back up just a little bit. But Micah, the little book of, uh, of the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Micah writes... Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from, old, from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell securely, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and He shall be their peace. I think there is much that we can relate to when we look at Bethlehem. Hopefully it isn't just about the size of Bethlehem. 
Hopefully it's not just about, oh, little town of Kansas. Uh, hopefully we can relate to the reality that God has not abandoned us, that though other people might pass us by, God brings His very presence into our community. He fills us with promise. He fills us with hope. And He fills us with His peace. You see, the fact that God would choose Bethlehem, the fact that God would choose Bethlehem should tell us something about ourselves. And for one, it's a great reminder that God's promise outshines our weakness. I think we get enamored by the big things. We like to visit the big cities. You know, Charleston. We like to visit the big cities. We're amazed at the buildings. We're amazed at, the, at all the people. We see so many opportunities, so many stores to go shopping. If you're like me, so many restaurants to choose from. How are you ever going to pick one? There's so much to do. Why on earth would God choose to do anything in a small town? And yet He did in Bethlehem. At the time, we, we don't know how small Bethlehem was. The population could have been as much as about a thousand people. It could have been as small as about 300 people. But a town like that would be easy to overlook, easy to pass by God, and yet God chose to bring His greatest promise to that town. If you notice in verse 2, Micah has to specify about Bethlehem. It's not just Bethlehem, but it's Bethlehem Ephrathah. And the reason it's called Bethlehem Ephrathah in, in verse 2 is because Ephrathah was the old name for Bethlehem. Micah is specifying which Bethlehem he's talking about. Not this Bethlehem, not that Bethlehem, the Bethlehem that used to be called Ephrathah. Now, some of you are here are a little bit older than me. What did Kansas used to be called? Midway. You hear it? Midway. This town used to be called Midway, which is why we had Eckerd's Midway Market uptown and Prior to that, Starkey's Midway Market. My, every time we would come into town, my mom would say, there's Midway, and I had no idea what she was talking about. And then when I read about the Battle of Midway, that just threw me off completely. I thought, what? That happened here? No. And Micah has to specify which Bethlehem he's talking about because there were other Bethlehems. Then if you flip over a little later, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 where the, the wise men come into the court. They come into the palace of the king of Israel, they come into Herod's palace there in Jerusalem, and they want to know where the, where the Messiah is. And they specify then, when they repeat this verse, it specified Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Because again, there was another Bethlehem. There was another Bethlehem just, just a few miles north of, of Nazareth. And so it has to be specified. Which Bethlehem are we, are we talking about? Bethlehem was easy to overlook. Have you ever told someone you're from Kansas? And then they ask, which one? Which one? The one in Missouri or the one in Kansas? Well, uh, neither. Uh, the one in Illinois. But you, O oh Kansas, Midway. But you, O oh Kansas, in the land of Illinois. There's an awful lot that we aren't. We aren't a big town. We aren't well-known. And yet, in the midst of that kind of place, God sent His greatest promise. We should never be meant to feel insignificant. We should never be made to feel insignificant or overlooked or overshadowed. You and I should never feel like God does not have a promise for us, whether as a church or as individuals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
verses 27 through 28, Paul wrote this, but God chose what is foolish in the world. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If the little town of Bethlehem teaches us anything, it is that we are never so small, we are never so little, that we escape God's promise. If He can use Bethlehem, He can use Kansas. And if He can use a family like Joseph and Mary, He can use you and me. God's promise outshines our weakness. The question for us is, are we looking for His promise? Are we looking for His promise? Are we, are we focused on where God wants to take us? We need to take a look at at God's purpose in our lives. We need to be looking for His purpose in our lives and we need to, ask, and we need to allow God's vision to drive our hope. We need to let God's vision drive our hope. You know, growing up here, I was always fascinated by the stories about what Kansas used to be. Mom used to tell me all kinds of stories about the old days in Kansas. She'd tell me about all the stores that were in Kansas. You know, all the grocery stores. She would tell me about the movie theater. There was a movie theater in town. We've, we've got one of the old playbills up, up, up town, uh, up there in one of the old buildings. I actually looked up that Laurel and Hardy movie and watched it one day. And I just wanted to know what people would have been watching back then. But mom used to tell me, you know, they had a movie theater in town and they had free shows. And I would think, why do you think there's no movie theater anymore, mom? You can't give away free shows all the time. You gotta, gotta charge something. She'd tell me about the grocery stores. She would tell me about the about the pharmacy. She told me about the restaurants, all the other businesses. Somebody help me out here. Does anyone... How many gas stations at one time were there? Seven? Wow. <laughs> Jim says there's more than that. <laughs> he is a lot older than you are. But you're catching up. <laughs> Can you imagine seven gas stations in Kansas? There were at least three when I was a kid. I think there were at least three when I was little. Uh, used to go up to the Shell station. You'd fill up and they'd give you one of those bowls. We still have some of those. <laughs> those old bowls. Probably still have some of the moon pies at home that I bought up there too. Those will last forever. But you know, it, mom would tell me those stories and now I realize I'm at an age where I can tell those stories to my kids too. I can talk about, the, about cooks uptown. I can talk about going up and, and getting a Coke from the, from the hardware store. I can talk about going down to coffees and, and going to, going to the, the pool hall, going to play in, playing Pac-Man at the pool hall all day, blowing all of my quarters playing Pac-Man. I can, talk about, I can talk about the year when I was in second grade and the first grade class was so big that they had to divide them into two, that they were in two classes. I don't know what you people were doing in 1967, but no, I do know what you were doing in 1967. But all of a sudden, there was this class that was so big, they had to divide them into two classes, and, and people wouldn't, wouldn't expect that from, from, a, from a town like us. You look at the... Sorry. It would have been really easy for Bethlehem just to tell those stories. It would have been really easy just for Bethlehem to just stay focused on the past because they had their stories. They could talk about what it used to be to be in Bethlehem. 
they could talk about a thousand, over a thousand years earlier when, when Jacob was passing through Bethlehem and his beloved wife Rachel died. And Jacob buried Rachel, the most beautiful woman. He buried his wife Rachel in Bethlehem. They could tell the story of about a thousand years earlier when a man named, uh, a woman named Ruth met a man named Boaz in the city of Bethlehem. The greatest love story of the Bible right there. That happened in Bethlehem. They could tell the story of Ruth and Boaz in Bethlehem. And then, of course, they could tell the story of King David, the greatest king, the king that defined the monarchy and the rule and, and what it meant to, to be a king in Israel. They could tell the story of King David because his hometown was Bethlehem. They could have sat around and talked about who they used to be. They could have sat around and just talked about who they used to be and what used to happen in Bethlehem, but they looked ahead because they knew that God had a vision for them in the future. God had hope for them. And so for 700 years, Bethlehem looked forward. They looked forward watching and waiting and knowing that God had a promise for them, that a king would come from them, and then finally one day those wise men from from the east, from a distant country, came into the king's palace in Jerusalem. And Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And doesn't it make sense that they went to Jerusalem? They went to the palace of the king expecting to find this new Messiah. Well, then it says, Herod, when Herod heard this, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Well, of course he would be. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 700 years of looking forward to that. And God's vision was fulfilled and the people had hope. There's a reason your rearview mirror is really little and your windshield is really big. Because as a rule, you don't spend all your time driving backwards. There's a reason your rearview mirror is little and your windshield is big because the windshield is facing the direction you're going. And it is fun to talk about the past. It is great to talk about the past, but the past is not our vision. And the past is not our hope. If we're going to impact our community, if we're going to impact our neighbors, if we're going to impact our world, we need to be looking ahead. Now, the last few weeks I've shared this horrible statistic with you that says that 57% of the people in Edgar County 57% of the people in Edgar County have no faith at all. When they're asked what their faith is, they don't say, I was raised Christian, I was raised Catholic, I was raised this, I was raised that. They say none. They have no faith at all. By the way, Coles County is just a little bit worse than Edgar County with that, believe it or not. It, it's, it, it, there, there's no faith at all. No faith, no vision, and no hope. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. You look at the drug use in our community. You look at the alcohol abuse. You look at the immorality. 
You look at the other problems we have. Would it be fair to say that the people cast off restraint? That there is nothing restraining them? Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints. Could it be that they don't have anything to look forward to? We need a vision. We need a vision not just for us. We need a vision for them. We need to see that God has placed us here because people need peace. I guarantee you, if 57% of the people in our county declare no faith, then they have very little peace also. Not the kind of peace that Jesus promises anyway. Not a peace that passes all understanding. Not a peace that is based on the knowledge and the trust of God's abiding presence. Not a peace that says, no matter what I face today, no matter what my need today, no matter what I lack today, something better is ahead. There is something better waiting for me. You look at the whole of Micah's prophecy of the birth of Jesus here. You, you look at all of it. It actually begins back in chapter 4. And it begins with language of conquest. It's, it's battle language that starts it off. You look back in chapter 4, verse 13. Micah says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat to pieces many people and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. And then it continues in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. It's battle language. How often do we frame the church in language of battle? How often do we do that? Where we frame the church in language of battle. I hear people talking about culture wars. I hear people talking about religious wars. I hear people talking about the war on Christianity, the war on religion. And this time of year, I hear people talking about war on Christmas. I don't know how many times I've heard people talk about the, the war on Christmas. Is that really the message we want to proclaim to our neighbors? Do we really want to proclaim a message to the 57% of people who don't believe anything? Do we want to tell them that we're at war with them? Is that what we want to say? Verse 2 turns a corner. Verse 2 turns this corner from battle and conquest. And what do we read next? But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. But from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. A king is coming. One you have been promised for centuries. One who is hope. And look at how his reign is characterized in verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That's shepherding language. It's, it's the language of shepherding His flock. They will dwell secure. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sound familiar? King David was a shepherd. And here again, God promises to send His people a shepherd. And verse 5 begins with those words, and He shall be their peace. He Himself. He shall be their peace. Remember what Matthew writes in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew writes of Jesus. He says, when he saw the crowds, 
He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I hope we see our community. I hope we see our neighbors through Jesus' eyes. I hope we see what they lack. I hope we see that they lack a shepherd who will bring them peace. And I hope we realize that God has a promise and He has a hope and He has a vision for the little town of Kansas. we got a lot of people who will tell us what we aren't. we got a lot of people who will tell us what we aren't. We aren't a big town. We don't have a lot of opportunities. And then as individuals, there are those who will look at our lives and they'll say, you're just a small town person from a small town. You're insignificant. What, what can you do? How can we find any hope? How can we offer any help to anyone? How can we offer any real peace? And the question as we look at Micah chapter 5, the question as we look at Bethlehem is, are we going to listen to people who tell us what we're not? Or are we going to listen to God tell us who we are? Are we going to focus on our lack? Or are we going to focus on, on God's blessed promises? The people around us need peace. That's why God sent His Son to be their peace. That's why He's placed us here. That's why he's placed this here now and today to proclaim that peace. I'm going to ask Shelby to come and sing. She's going to sing. She's going to, she's going to proclaim that peace through song. And then when she's done, I'm going to close this with prayer. Thank you, Shelby. We stand. We're just going to close with prayer today. Stand with me. Father, that was beautiful. And, and from that first holy night until today, you have reminded us again and again that your attention is on even the smallest of us, the weakest of us, the least of these, the ones who feel lost and alone. No one escapes your notice and no one escapes your promise of peace. Lord, as Christmas approaches and through the whole year, let us be people who proclaim peace, who work for peace, who seek to make peace, and who guard peace. The peace that we offer this world is more than just a feeling. It's more than just something we hope for. The peace we offer is your son, Jesus. He is our peace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And go in peace.